Welcome to Around the Table. The way of peace is not passive. It's an active and often uncomfortable pursuit of reconciliation. In part two of this series on the intersection of peace and abusive marriages, we examine the role of counselors, church leadership, and sometimes the courts. So let's move on and talk a little bit about professionally. What what do you see the role of counselors in trying to assist a person or or a couple or a, a church or a group in dealing with abuse? I guess I would see the the role as as counselors or individuals that um, support those who are abused and the abuser um, as first identifying. I think what abuse is. It's um, oftentimes again we've talked to these are complex situations and. When individuals come in, rarely are they coming in saying, I'm in an abusive relationship. Rather, it's coming in with other factors, whether it's anxiety, depression, um, low self-worth. And it's in time that perhaps the abuse comes out. And even the discovery of abuse can lead to intense shame. So part of our role is walking with them through that what feels like isolating, dark, lonely place and shining light in there um, at appropriate times and appropriate ways. And so educating, supporting. For individuals who are in abuse, oftentimes boundaries can seem very selfish. There's a lot of guilt. Um, And so I think it's supporting them also at what does a healthy support structure look like as they continue to walk through this? Yeah, no, for for sure, Caleb. I, I appreciate the way you said that. And Abuse can often be the thing behind the thing that they come in for. And being able to get there, I think a big role of professional services in this in these situations is just being a consistent relationship and and having someone that you feel is listening and, and maybe aware of this and and can kind of point you to some places where you recognize that hey this isn't normal. I think it's very easy mm-hmm. to feel like, oh, this is probably normal. Like probably every couple goes through this kind of a time or whatever. And for a counselor to be able to say, actually, no, that's that's not the case, mm-hmm. um, can be really helpful just to have that outside perspective that is unbiased, um, just mm-hmm. as we talked about bias a little bit ago. I appreciate both of you laying that out. You know, one of the things that occurs to me um, as you are sharing, probably most people come to us and probably when they come to church leadership and their assumption or the, the framework they come from is that abuse is physical and, and some would include emotional, understand that, sometimes sexual. Probably a piece that um, we don't think about is that there are people who are in situations where they're being, if you will, religiously abused. Mm-hmm. And in some ways that is more confusing when a, when a spouse says, you're probably not even saved or you know God wouldn't put up with that or God told told you that you need to be in this relationship, invoking God against a person is very f- frightening and intimidating. And we know clearly, going back to how each of you define the way of peace, that is not how God sees his role. I mean, God loves each of those partners and wants them to be not in a destructive relationship, but one that can be uh, worshipful, submissive to him, and honoring of him. So, Anything that you'd add as far as the biggest challenges that you see when you're counseling in a situation like that? Like what would be some of the more difficult things you had to come up against? Yeah, I, I feel like for me, the most the most challenging thing is just being steady. 
Um, it is really easy to get emotionally poked um, in these sort of situations. And just to be able to be consistent through the roller coaster of emotions mm -hmm. that the abused walks through as they as they go through the the self-doubt and the anger and the grief and the hurt, um, but just being able to be consistent through that. Mm -hmm. I think that's really helpful. It's difficult, I think, not reacting in ways that perpetuate the pattern or the experience that the abuse has already had. So what I mean by that is what is shared there, God has created us in a way that we respond that that is wrong. And I, I know for me at times that has led to maybe more abrupt responses, more angry or, or not necessarily critical of the abused, but in a way that minimizes how hard it is for them to step up and set appropriate boundaries, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, and so really gauging where we're at individually, emotionally. So we've been talking through the roles of different people involved about the person being abused, family. Friends, church leadership, professional services. Um, we also need to touch on the law. This is um, obviously one of the more sensitive things, but this question comes up, why would we even involve the law? Why would you go to an attorney or, or seek a restraining order or those kinds of things? So I think we should at least share a bit under what circumstances those are warranted and why, in fact, sometimes it's not an option not to include them. And either of you, if you have some thoughts, please feel free to share on that. Yeah, I would say a big place where the court system comes into play is when kids are involved. And um, I, I think something that is really scary is that it can feel like a situation is out of your hands once the court gets involved, um, which is which is true, largely. But again, it is a, a system that has been put in place within her country to protect those who are in places where they, they maybe aren't being protected. And when parents are kind of walking through this, um, kids are, are usually the ones that can get forgotten or neglected. And so having some some people, uh, again, whether that's DCFS or court that kind of walks alongside and determines custody and things like that can be helpful. Mm -hmm. Yep. And the other area I think of is just around the area of finances right. where there can be established um, a separation of finances in a way that one individual doesn't make financial decisions out of just anger to get back at. It can lead to really catastrophic situations. And so the law can step in in those cases and establish certain criteria that keeps some safety in, in a situation that isn't safe. I appreciate both those. I think I want to add just as, it, as an elder in the church that we shouldn't be afraid of the law. Sometimes we have biases because we hear of decisions that just seem really extreme, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but I think if if somebody's going to go, it needs to go, or you encourage them to do that, you know, an obvious first step is just talking to an attorney and finding out what can be done, what can't be done. But also to encourage people to say to whoever represents them, I don't want to go there. there there's yeah. a wide variety of professionalism in the law like in all, and they're very good attorneys. There's some in this area we've worked with who are very much wanting the marriage to work and, and working from that place, but recognizing where some intervention needs to happen. Mm -hmm. But that needs to be made clear by the person going. They probably need somebody to go with them. It's probably not reasonable mm -hmm. to ask an abused person to go and talk to an attorney with nobody there to help 
validate or even interpret what is being said. So we're not here to promote the law. It's not our, our point. But there is a point that they should be involved, and it's good if the, the other entities understand that and help them think through that. So one, um, I don't know if I would call it a clarifier, but some, I think we need to speak into it. It's actually, I think, more difficult. And that is situations where it, it's very difficult to discern whether there is an innocent party or to what point. There are cases, we have to acknowledge it, um, we should not go there quickly, but there's cases where that abuse can be two ways, where mm-hmm. one spouse is very able to abuse emotionally and then call out the other spouse because they abuse more physically. We just want to acknowledge that. That takes time. It, it takes discernment. <clears throat> it might take additional people involved. But um, one of the things that we would encourage is if somebody is sharing and you ha- you're doubtful or, or questioning their integrity or their um, accuracy, it's probably best still to start with the possibility that there is abuse as opposed to start with what in your mind is the likelihood that this is just a marriage with difficult dynamics. So we'd like to move into talking about how to provide support for the person who is the abuser. So obviously not support in helping them remain in that situation or continue, but because we have a concern for them also as a, as a person, as a soul. Um, you know, I put down a verse, I think it's a, a good kind of foundational uh, verse for us to use as we step into that. In Hebrews twelve 14, we're told to follow peace with all men in holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. So we owe this to the abuser. We, we owe it to them to try to help get that framework that seeking peace is, is necessary um, to move into a relationship with God that is God-honoring. So maybe we can talk first again about family and friends, how they might, what, what's their appropriate interaction or support with the person who is, who is the abuser now? Yeah, so one of the first things that comes to my mind is recognizing that person may not fully understand the depth of what has happened and the betrayal that has happened and and that the other spouse feels. I, I think it can be easy for the abuser to assume like things can just resume as normal and moving forward, there is no more normal um, mm-hmm. as they knew it. Yeah, that's good. And so I think just helping them like recognize the expectations um, and that this is going to be a long road to rebuild trust and, and gain that and recognize um, that that can really be a place that family and friends can assist is helping them with expectations and walking them through the stage of change where they can finally get to a place where they see the depth of the hurt that they caused. Mm-hmm. Being a source to hear their pain, certainly, because their their world, in a sense, is being turned upside down. And so it's not to justify what they're doing, but I think a space to hear for, for the abuser, right, to be able to speak to, to family and friends and say how hard that is that, yeah, you know, uh, your spouse is... Um, you know, communicating about this or ways that you don't feel are right. So hearing that while also continuing to encourage them, the reality is that they will need professional help. And so whatever can be done to help support them of both validating the pain and encouraging them to seek appropriate help. I want to add one piece to maybe clarify a little bit, but um, I think family and friends might be in a position where they can confront the reality of the abuse with more acceptance 
than what an elder could or the person being abused or the family of the person who's being abused. But a family member of the abuser or a friend of the abuser has some history and credibility that they can step into it and say, but do you see what's happening here? Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I definitely think that can be helpful. One of the things that we really want to stress is be careful. The tendency of family is to support the abuser, not because you believe the behavior is okay, but because you don't want them hurt or because you think maybe they got the short end on, on something or because just personally, it's too hard to incorporate that my son or my brother could behave that way. There must yeah. be some reason because that that calls into question our very family integrity. Mm-hmm. So be mm-hmm. be aware that it will be easy to step into defending or making excuses for. That's not helpful. Even to the abuser, it's not helpful. Mm-hmm. But know that it's easy to do that. And the other thing I would say is I don't think any of us who live outside of those relationships understand the myriad of reasons somebody might be abusive. There, there are people who are just nasty people. But by far the majority of the situations we know it's people who don't know how to relate in a different way than that, who don't know how to express their frustration in a different way, who don't know how to be, to show kindness or, or how to say the things that they're going through. And so there has to be compassion and empathy shown on that side also, even though our, our tendency is want to shake them up because of what's occurring. But the, I think the majority of people who, who are abusers did not set out with that that was a good idea or a justification, but have moved into it as dynamics have changed and and as a result of their own lack of skills or lack of knowledge. So let's move into church leadership on this one. Um, I'll I'll share a couple of thoughts, and again, I'd I'd like the two of you to do that. But one of the things which we've heard the most, and I believe it's accurate, I think we need to state it, is as a church and as church leaders, we need to label abuse as sin. Abuse is not a dysfunction. A dysfunction in marriage is when one spends more money than the other and there's disagreement over how budgeting is done and there's there's issues with child raising. One might have stronger opinions one way or another. That's normal stuff. That's not sinful. There's room for two opinions. Sometimes there's room for more opinions than two. But abuse, the, the mistreatment of somebody and especially the mistreatment of somebody in a way that begins to control them, that is sinful because it, it doesn't meet God's standard, it doesn't meet what Christ has taught it, taught us, and it clearly is not a way of peace. So we need to be clear about it being not just unacceptable, um, but as sin. So in church leadership, sometimes we're not in a place where you can do this easily, but our, our role is to get the abuser to accept personal responsibility. This not to make excuses about money was tight, or she, my wife didn't do this, or kids are creating stressors, whatever those are, but to take personal responsibility, which includes things like confessing, um, not in that more formal way, but but confessing as in professing that, yes, this happened. Yes, I fall into that, which we would say is then in the way of peace and encourages that. Challenge the tendency to minimize the impact of my behavior based on my intent, which I think is true of all of us. But in these situations, uh, one of the things that is crucial is for the abuser to understand how his or her behavior influences, impacts uh, the abused. And my intent 
even if it was good, doesn't change the impact that it had on the individual. And so I think remembering that is important. Yeah, and I think something that just is striking me as I hear you talk there, it just the difficulty of that balance of empathy and mm. truth and how easy it is for that to be misunderstood as agreement. Oh, you know, the the elder agrees with me. You know, my wife was out of line in this, in this situation or whatever. And, oh, that can be maddening <laughs> as an elder to walk through that and yeah. And just to continue to maintain that balance. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. So as, as church elders or ministers, um, owning up to ways that we've been misled and recognizing that you're not going to get it all right and you're going to go home and you probably will be upset with both. Mm-hmm. And just recognizing sometimes we're upset because we couldn't find a way to be effective, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. own that and know that we that we can't just step away from it just because it's upsetting. That's probably a given as we work through these, that you're going to be much less effective than you're used to being and much less effective than you would like to be, but that we stay in there. And I, so let's transition from that to professional services. We've talked about that for the person being abused, but um, what else would you add in terms of the roles that a professional might be able to play when there's an abuser who has agreed or been coerced either. We like agreement better than coercion, but mm-hmm. if we can get them there, it's good. But ways that you can engage with that person that that might be more professional than what family or friends would be able to engage with them. Again, I think you have the luxury as a professional of not having to balance dual relationships and wearing multiple hats of brother or sister as well as um, the professional. And so just being able to um, call them out on different things at times um, where it may feel like the, the family is not calling them out or they're not able to see. Yep, and I think, Amber, you re- referred to this earlier, the stages of change, and I think one of the things that professional services provide is seeking to move an individual who perhaps is coming in out of the request of a family member or an elder to move them towards the path of beginning to understand the consequences of their own behavior subtly and ideally move them to desiring some level of, of engagement and treatment. And so starting that path wherever they're at on moving towards an openness, a willingness to engage if possible. That's good. So just briefly, I'll touch on the law. We talked about that more under the person who's being abused, but I, I think it's probably some of the same points. It's sometimes you just need, or or the person does, even the abuser needs to know. So, what are the parameters? What what does the law allow and not? But as as professional counselors who deal with this, we would all say there are times there's not an option. Sometimes it is the law who needs to intervene with the abused, the person who is doing the abusing, and if that's true, if someone's being harmed, it's not wrong. Um, to call, in, in that case, for law enforcement. And if it's necessary, some, sometimes there are abusers who will not hear anybody else, and it is necessary to get a more legal statement that they cannot refute. They cannot like it, maybe, but that they can't refute. So again, we'd, we'd encourage to be careful, be mindful, but, and be wise, um, but recognize what role they play. So kind of to, to wrap up our, our thoughts, I think we'll come back to this how the way of peace fits into this and and specifically clarifying the difference between passivity and the way of peace. And I'm going to ask again both Amber and Caleb to comment to that, but just as a, a, a beginning thought, 
Passive, I think we would say, is just not responding, not not intervening, not defending. The way of peace is an active process of pursuing peace. And passivity does not necessarily pursue peace. So if both of you would share some thoughts on that, we'd appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the way of peace really steps into, kind of as you're in, um, saying there, Ron, steps into conflict and tension in a healthy manner for the purpose of not just engaging in conflict, but restoration um, and healing. And I believe as you look at peace and the way it's used in Scripture, and even as we talk about the way of peace, as individuals, particularly in in um, you know United States, we often think of peace as you know harmony or there is uh, no tension. I don't think that's what peace is meant to be. Even as we think about peace in our relationship with Christ. Um, where there is healing, restoration, wholeness that is component to that. And so sometimes, actually, the way of peace is through conflict. It is towards conflict. And so passivity uses, I think, focuses on conflict to disengage, whereas the way of peace focuses on the restoration, the wholeness um, that then leads through um, the conflict. Um, So it's engaging rather than disengaging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I agree that the way of peace in my mind just feels so much more active. Mm-hmm. Um, I think both passivity and the way of peace um, cause a person to accept the reality of a situation, maybe a situation that you don't like. But sometimes when when you're looking at a s- situation with passivity, that's where it ends. And there's kind of an unmotivated approach to to change that reality where again way of peace you are actively seeking that restoration and um seeking that growth and so i think that is that is not always possible to the exact same degree depending on the situation you're a part of but there is somewhere in there that component where you are trying to heal you are trying to restore something into what it should be mm-hmm and in some ways, I don't know if this is accurate, but um, this is hard for me to say. But as I think about passivity, or at least as I engage passivity, I'm focused on my comfort. Whereas the way of peace is stepping into discomfort for the sake of restoration. And so it's, it's, it's really a different mindset and engagement. Um, I'd be I'd be rather being comfortable and just you know step back. Um. <laughs> you know it's interesting when you say that, Kayla. If we take this back to what um, probably most of us envisioned when the way of peace was being talked about and put together, our minds would go to war or serving in the military, carrying weapons, serving in law enforcement, those kinds of things. And sometimes it would be easier to step into those also because it feels in some way safe. You don't have to be different. You don't have to think through. The way of peace takes work, and it. But the thing is, if we apply it correctly, it leads to a, a different spot than using violence, whether that's in a relationship or in something else. So, we are um, we're thankful to encourage each one of you to think through in your own life, not just in situations of abuse, but but across the board, about how do you pursue peace. The, the way of peace is about pursuing peace. It's not about convincing everybody just to be quiet about what's going on. So we appreciate your your time. Appreciate your listening and hope that it can be useful to you. Thanks for listening. And if you have comments on Around the Table or ideas for future episodes, let us know. 
In AC Central, go to the Settings menu, select User Feedback, and when the web page opens, click the Feedback on Around the Table link. Around the Table is a production of Onward Media, a communications ministry of the Apostolic Christian Church of America.